Hello, everyone, and welcome to Twist Gaming. This is the Great Game Hunters podcast, uh, and we will be doing our little intro today for 1.5. Spoiler free with me and Fen. Fen, say hi. And I am Josh. I am totally not the person to do openings. <laughs> so am I supposed to say hi, or am I supposed to say hi? And I'm Josh, and I'm not supposed. To, I'm not going to do an openings. All of that. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm just going to say hi now, so I don't want to say the rest. Hello, right. everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the well, at least half first half of the podcast is going to be spoiler free. Look at um, well everything you know to do with uh, you've just got your your one point five. So uh, yeah. So quick, who who we are, what we've been doing. So Twist Game, we do our weekly Twitch plays Kingdom Death. We've been doing uh, Double Death for the last well, starting this week, and we're going to do that for the rest of the year. And, uh, Fen, you got some really cool Patreon stuff going on. You want to tell us about that a little bit? Before I do, I just want to point out that you've called your thing Double Death. And yet, as you were just saying in the pre-show, you haven't had anyone die yet. I mean, I feel like you're mislabeling this a bit. We've been killing monsters twice a week. There is death. Just not our death. Uh, this is not the kind of death that the crowd desires. But, uh, <laughs> I guess technically you're correct. Uh, well, yeah, I do. Um, I do a lot of different things on my Patreon um, and also on YouTube as well. I do mostly pre-recorded content these days. Uh, I write articles um, at patreon.com forward slash fenpaints. They uh, include painting articles, uh, written articles uh, about builds, um, strategy guides, looks at different bits and pieces. Sometimes a bit of a discussion on the law depends, kind of what I'm feeling or what my patrons want or interested in uh some of the stuff is free for anyone like the build guides and the new newbie kind of stuff just starting i sort of try and keep that open to everyone uh i'm also currently doing a let's play with uh, two friends of mine um on uh on youtube uh under the account name spinning dust which is my friend's uh youtube account and we're playing people of the sun it's um it's her first time playing, so she's having a, a great time. We are playing a softer, gentler version of the game, um, but it's still like plenty of brutal monster bashing and serious injuries and things are happening. So it's uh, it's good fun, um, yeah. And outside of that, I think generally, like I tend to answer rule queries and write reviews on the expansions. Um, apparently, I helped quite a few people decide what they wanted to get uh, for the the 1.5 Kickstarter, which apparently ended up being, for a lot of them, absolutely everything, which I think is fair enough. And, um, and, you know, all sorts of other things. And outside of Kingdom Death, I do do a lot of other gaming-related stuff as well. So, right. Yeah. And one of the things that uh, I thought we were supposed to do with pre-show, but we'll do it now, uh, you have a giveaway to do, don't you? I do, yes. Yeah, I do, indeed. Uh, I'm, I've got a couple of giveaways coming up for my Patreons. This one's the first one. Uh, it was get all for all Patreons of um, I think it's the Monster Patreon tier uh, and everyone in that in December has been entered into a raffle and um, Josh I, I wanted you to, to he's got a list of the, the initials for everyone involved, they've all got different initials and if you could um, do the roll and then uh, we'll know who it is So I'm going to ask chat for the roll here So we're, we're okay. just, chat, Chat's going to decide your winner because that's how we do it here So there, we had nine people in it, I believe, right? Oh, no, no, can, can you make it a 1d10, please? Because on a, on a 10, I'm going to add an extra bonus in. Sorry. <laughs> All right, we'll, ma we'll make that a 10. Let's see. Oh, they rolled a nine. 
A nine. Oh, yeah, that okay. close. Close. I believe I know what a nine is. Uh, could you give me initials? Uh, I got to look at your list. Uh, initials is CF. Yep. Okie dokie. All right. So uh, I'll have to contact that particular Patreon. We all know who that is. We all know who that is. Yes. Yes, we do. Uh, I may as well say congratulations to Charles Fox, who uh, has won the first one. And um, we'll, uh, there'll be another draw for open to all of our Patreons at the start of January. Um, that one is going to be for a painted Manhunter expansion, including all the cards, the rule book, and everything. It's just missing the box. I can't supply the box because my burbs destroyed it. <laughs> Sounds rigged. good. It's really not rigged at all. <laughs> uh, for those who were wondering, chats uh, just said it's rigged um, simply because uh, Charles Charles wins more than his fair share of competitions. Yeah, he's pretty good at that. Um, yes, he is. So, talking about competitions, we're doing our subscri- subscriber drive for Twitch, and we have some cool stuff to give away. Um, so, uh, if you go to twistgaming.tv slash subs, S-U-B-S, uh, you get details there. And if you're a subscriber of the channel, um, as we hit certain goals, we're going to be giving away some really cool one-of-a-kind items. So, cool. Yeah, I know you like that. Uh, so, the big item we got is that big bust of the uh, Black Knight. Which is everybody loves the big bust. Yeah. All right. So I think that's all the little clerical work beforehand. So uh, we ready to uh, dive in about 1.5 and everything that uh, we need to teach all the new players about. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we are going to try and stay away from spoilers for this first half, and we will tell you when we're going to move into some spoilers. They're going to be light spoilers anyway. Nothing like. Oh, versus this, you should do this and you should do this. It's more the spoiler section is going to be about trying to give you the tools to make your own judgments and assessments on things. So you can you draw your own conclusions. Uh, hopefully we can give you the tools to do that. Um, but beforehand, for the first hour or so, we're kind of going to move through the experience of what it's like when you get 1.5 and some of the things that I think it's important to know as a new player. Because right. obviously you've, you've just backed, you've... Uh, you, you, or you're a pre-order, or you're a late backer, or you're ordering it from the store, and you know you, you get, you've got this big giant black box that's arrived, all shiny and wrapped, and you know you open it up and it's just full of stuff. All the stuff. Oh, what is it? Nineteen pounds now? Uh, I have no idea. The, the guy at the door when he delivered mine looked very tired, and I had an update box sitting on top of it as well. So, you know, it's probably 20, 21 pounds or 22 pounds. Or it's it's like 19 pounds. The original was 17, I think. So they added yeah. two pounds to it. Yeah, yeah, they did. They added a, a lot of content. Um, so, I mean, first of all, got to say, great choice. You've got yourself a 1.5. It's fantastic. You know, this is like one of the best board games on the market. There's really not much argument with that. It keeps climbing up the ranks on Board Game Geek. Um, and it's, it's had good reviews everywhere. It obviously slightly controversial nature, but if you bought it, then you're fine with the horror content, you know. Um, so what do you do? You know, you get it open and you've got like this, I don't know, Josh, do you remember opening your, your first box? That was a few years ago when I got my first box. Yeah. You know, you, you crack it open and it, it sort of very slowly opens because it's quite tight. Like, lid, the material is a little sticky, you know, like it's textured. You're Sorry. just that excited when you opened it? <laughs> no, I'd, uh, I'd gone and dropped mine, you know, dropped mine in a puddle. That was the problem. Um, 
Yeah, you know, it's 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 sort of quite sealed. You open it up, and then there's that tray on top with the miniatures in, and that's the very first thing I've got. I've got to say, it has on there a web address, but it's biggestbuilds.kingdomdeath.com. That is your best friend for assembling the miniatures. Like now absolutely. that now that that works because it didn't work yeah, in the now, first Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, it's taken a couple of years to to arrive, but it has done. It's really good. Like all due respect to Vibrant Lantern. A fantastic resource. You should still have a look at that for like ideas on builds and, and other things. But the official site is so clean, so clear. Uh, for putting the Phoenix together, it was an absolute joy. I followed the instructions for assembling a commission Phoenix recently, and it was it was a delight to like actually know exactly where each hand was supposed to go. You know, not yeah. just be like this one goes in the butt, and I don't know where the rest go. Yeah, I um, think uh, the Phoenix I sent you still didn't have half its hands on. I might have not sent you the rest of the hands. I don't know. I, you didn't send me the rest of the hands, no. I'll, I'll send those to you at some point then. But okay, <laughs> um, no, I got the uh, when I got my first copy, and it actually came in on my birthday, Ooh. which is really cool. That was a cool, fun birthday that, present. That is that is really cool. Yes, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I uh, my one point five arrived. What was it? It was apparently shipped out on the seventeenth of November, and it didn't arrive till the twenty fifth, and. Um, Adam, I, I contacted Adam. He wasn't really sure what happened. All he could do was apologize, which is like, you know, fair enough. He's not in charge of how the UK warehouse handles things. But yeah, we were waiting for a while to do this episode. So uh, who should really get back to the experience? So you, like you've opened it up, you've got a box of miniatures, you know, and there's going to be a bunch of bags of miniatures in there. I'm sure many of you have seen those already. Underneath that, you've got the board, you've got the cards, you've got the rule books, you've got the token trays and everything. So it's like a lot of content. Um, now I think like one of the first things you want to be doing is, um, considering if you want to do a component check, there are lists online that contain all of the components and you can have a look at those. But if you do do it and it is wise to do it, you will spoiler things for yourself a bit. Like it's impossible to not look at all these cards, check the names off and not accidentally read a few things. So that's kind of a decision you need to make. Um, I know from what some people have said that if you do contact support and say I'm missing some components from my 1.5, support kind of sends back a standard email that says, please list everything that's wrong with your 1.5 in one go. You're getting one lot of support back. So your decision to make, you know, you might want to play. And then if you get to a point, you're like, actually, I'm missing some components. Then you do the check. Um, but that's sort of a, a decision between making sure you've got it all or, you know, or avoiding spoilers. Yeah, um, I, I know one of the other things you might just want to check to make sure everything looks printed right. Um, yes. I know some people have got some offset prints and stuff like that, which which uh, that's an easy quick to look. Um, not looking for all the yeah. cards is a little bit different. And if you want to do it a little bit spoilers, not much spoilers, you could just do card counts. You won't yes. know if you have the right cards, but if your counts are right, then you should be good. Yeah, your butcher might be full of kicks and nothing else, but uh, who knows? Yeah. Um, so, uh, right. Uh, like the, the very first thing I think you should do is you want to get the, you want to get certain miniatures sorted out. You want to get certain components sorted out and you want to get that rule book sorted out. So, um, we'll start with looking at the models. Now, for a lot of people who are coming from, um, like a pure board game background, this can be very intimidating because to be honest, the Kingdom Death miniatures are kind of on the upper middle section of complexity they are not that straightforward 
even the narrative sculpt ones still can have like a few quirks and problems that are a little difficult to deal with. And there is a lot of models, like a lot of models. So well, I'll say... There's eight base models, right? Miniatures, and then all the monsters, yeah. and then you have like a ton of armor sets. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You've got four models per armor set, and I think it's six armor sets. No, seven, including unarmored. Yeah, unarmored, rawhide leather. Yeah, I think it's seven. Yeah, um, that sounds right. Yeah, so that's a good good point to say. Uh, with, we'll get to it in a moment, but first of all, like the modeling tools that are super useful for you to have, um, I thoroughly recommend, well, I recommend you need a knife, okay? Whether you use a scalpel or a modeling knife, or I use a Stanley knife, which I think you guys call a box cutter. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, you want you you may want a tool for scraping mold lines off the models. Although the Kingdom Death models are pretty good in not having too many mold lines, you can do that with your knife, or you can get a specialized mold uh, mold line removal tool, um, which is more expensive. But uh, you um, you want some clippers? You can I you can use wire clippers. You can get special hobby clippers. Basically, the clippers are for cutting the sprue initially to roughly remove all of the plastic and get the pieces you want separated. And then you go back with a knife to take the exact pieces off the sprue that you want to use at that time. So clippers aren't essential, but they will make your life a lot easier in removing models from the sprue and reduce the chance of losing pieces. And then finally, there's the glue decision. Now, um, Josh, I believe you used super glue for yours? Yeah, I do super glue. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say bad Josh. No. Um, it, actually, it's not totally bad, but I wouldn't recommend superglue um, if you if you can avoid it. You've got the choice of using superglue or plastic glue or um, polystyrene cement, as some places call it. Um, I'm going to go and recommend Tamiya Extra Thin Cement. Um, it has a great applicator. It's probably the best stuff I've ever used for Kingdom Death models. Now, it is a personal choice. The difference between the two is superglue is going to give you like strong bonds and a nightmare if it gets on your fingers, but it's going to connect together um, in a way that's not completely permanent. Super glue, if you do want to break it apart, it will snap. Um, you can even stick a super glued miniature in the fridge and the follow it freezer, sorry, and the following morning you can take it out, the super glue will have gone brittle, and you can break it apart a lot easier. In contrast, plastic uh, glue, plastic cement, polystyrene cement, we'll call it plastic cement, um, will melt the plastic together, giving you a stronger bond that lasts longer. Um, and also, it melts the, the plastic slightly, so it kind of fills in gaps a bit better. Um, now, when I, I'm going to briefly run through some of the starting models in the order I'd assemble them and kind of talk about a couple of the eccentricities when you put them together. So, right. um, yeah, so, so we'll start with the four um, narrative prologue survivors. Like, I recommend you assemble those. Uh, the rule book does as well, so, you know, we're on the same page there. Um, now, Alistair is the first model for me. Uh, now, he is the guy who's a little effeminate looking, nice hair, very, very cut. He's in a kind of a neutral pose. He's a very easy model to put together. And the only issue with him is you want to keep an eye out when you attach his left arm to his shoulder is that sometimes it will leave a, li a join in the li line, so you'll see like a crack around his shoulder. You can either fill that in with additional plastic cement and melting it further and pressing, or um, 
you can get your hands on some filler. Now, there's two types of, of filler. There's um, modeling clays that you mix, and then there's like the liquid forms. For this kind of uh, gap, I'd recommend the liquid forms. Um, plastic cement, sorry, not plastic cement. There is plastic putty that comes from Vallejo, which I prefer to use. But you can also get liquid green stuff. Um, Games so should do one. There are ones in other ranges. Basically, if you go to a modeling shop and you ask them that some of this stuff, um, absolutely just get some. Uh, you, you, you brush it on over the gap, you let it dry, you can then sand off or remove with a knife the excess to smooth it back down again, and then when you paint, the most of the gap should disappear, or in fact, all of it when you get used to it. Um, apart from that, Alistair's very easy to assemble. And then you've got Zachary. Now, in contrast, Zachary's like kind of difficult. He might be maybe the hardest of the models to put together out of the starting survivors. He's like got multiple parts. His um, robe comes in three pieces, so he, you absolutely want to be on the build guide for assembling him. But there are two spots in particular where you're going to have extra problems, and that's his face and his left hand. So what you want to do with his face is what we call dry fitting, which is where you attach it to the model without gluing to see how it fits. Now, he has like a peg on the back of his face that pushes into the head space, um, and you'll find quite often if you press it in dry fit, it'll, you'll still see gaps around the outside. So you're going to have to consider whether you trim it down, cut down the tab at the back, or if you're going to push it in and fill it. You want to have a bit of a think about that. Essentially, it's not quite a perfect join. Um, the other problem is his left hand. Generally, when you attach that to the model, the, the gap line will still appear on the fingers. So you're going to need to do some plastic cement melting or some puttying to fill it in there. Um, apart from that, I'd say follow the build guide. Urza, which is the long-haired female without a top. Uh, she's just wearing the loincloth, uh, rests out. Um, the most difficult part with her is her right arm, which is the one holding the founding stone that goes across her breasts and provides her with some sort of modesty. You know, what, PG-13. Now, that arm is very tricky to attach, and if you're going to be gluing her... Uh, sorry, painting her, you do want to make a consideration as to whether you glue the arm on first or not. Because personally, I actually don't glue that arm on until after I've painted the torso. I leave uh, the join point um, for the arm to the shoulder unpainted with nothing on it. Um, I brush on my uh, primer and I will glue the arm on after I've painted the skin tones and, and all of that, which uh, I find makes it easier. Um, <clears throat> and then... Uh, finally, there's Lucy, and basically Lucy is like the best. She she's loads of pieces, but she fits together really easy. There's hardly ever any gap problems. This is because Lucy is just the best survivor, so you know she's my favourite. And I'm always looking to collect more Lucys. So if anyone's got any spare Lucys, just let me know. Um, yeah, so you get your four survivors put together, and you have to make a decision about the bases. Now, Kingdom Death bases come in two pieces, uh, which I'm sure you remember, Josh. Yeah, the two pieces. Yeah. The, uh, so you've got the bottom piece with the Isle of Poots on and the bird. Or is it a phoenix or a dragon? I'm not really sure. But the, the Isle of Poots bird. And then the top half is a separate disc. Now, in your box, you're going to have two different discs. One is a plain disc, and one has the faces on it. Now, you can choose which disc you want to use. 
But I would recommend, if you're planning to play with your models a bit before you paint them, that you always attach the models to the plane disc. And don't glue that disc into the bird section. So you can just slot it in, and it will fit snugly and not fall out too often. Now, the reason for doing this is you can very easily cut those models off and transfer them onto a stone face base when you want to paint it. But like tra- taking them off a stone face base is a nightmare and it will damage the feet and cause all sorts of problems. So if you, you know, if you want to commission, have them commission painted or if you want to paint them yourself or anything, I would recommend essentially using the round bases as like the way to hold the model. And then once you've got your, once you've got your survivor painted, transfer them onto a painted stone face base, get that all glued in. Uh, should you attach the base plate before spraying the base coat on? Uh, I would. I, I, I would in the case if you're doing the flat um, base plate. If you're doing the stone face one, I prefer to paint it separate. Um, yeah. So it, it is kind of a personal choice how you want to do this. Uh, I go as far as I actually mount my survivors on a piece of cork to paint them. Like, you know, on a, a wine bottle cork. I put a pin through the leg, I attach them to the cork, I paint all of that, then I transfer them across onto stone face base, and I pin them through that. Now, pinning uh, is a bit of an advanced technique. Um, it is where you drill a hole into a limb or a part of the model. You put wire into that. You do the same into the base, uh, drill another hole, and you use that as an extra bond to help hold the model on so it doesn't break off so easily. It's very helpful with models like the Watcher that have a smaller footprint and, and maybe can be prone to breaking off a bit. It's really helpful for the antelope, right? That's the main one, right? The antelope in particular, yes. Um, absolutely. So you've got your you've got your four survivors assembled. Great. You need to get your white lion assembled. Um, he will go on a 50mm base, which is one of the larger ones. Uh, and, and again, like I think the white lion, very easy to put together if you follow the build instructions. You will find, no matter how hard you try, that it's not going to join up flat and flush, and you're going to still see the lines on the white lion. So that is where, when it, before you paint, you absolutely have to fill the gaps. Yeah, there's there's really no getting around it. It needs gap filling. Also, I find the back legs often don't line up perfectly either, so you want to take a bit of time on that. I've actually just finished painting a um, a white lion myself for my uh, um, for my games on next Thursday. So uh, it's. It's very fresh in my mind um, what it's like to, to assemble and paint one. And uh, so there you are. That's for people in chat. Uh, so the other models I would recommend you get sorted before you start is the Screaming Antelope and the Butcher. So that will cover you up until Lantern Year 5 without spoiling anything because it's all on the timeline. Um, and it should give you enough options and decisions that your group can play around with. If you want to go a bit further than that, then the next model you should assemble is the Kingsman. That is a very simple model to put together. And then it would be the Phoenix. Then it would be the Hand. And then a lot later on, you would put together the Watcher and the Gold Smoke Knight. So you don't need the Watcher and the Gold Smoke Knight for a long time. But you can assemble them because they look cool. Uh, all of the monsters, apart from the Phoenix, go on a 50mm base. So that's not one of the smaller bases um, that the survivors go on which is a 30 mil, it's the larger ones that take up four spaces. It, the Butcher, the Hand, the Kingsman all look like they fit on smaller bases because they have, they're kind of nearly survivor-sized, um, but in fact they should go on larger ones. Um, now, as Josh just kind of mentioned a little earlier, there's a Screaming Antelope, which 
This one will cause more problems for people than, than any. The reason for this is that the antelope hooves, it essentially lands on the base on its back hooves. And if you try and glue it on in kind of a forward running position, you end up with a very small area of contact. And this is where pinning comes in. Um, there are lots of guides online. Google them, look for pinning, miniatures, guide, you will find tons. Essentially, all you need to do is some wire and a, a small drill bit. Um, I use a hand drill, but you can actually do it with like an electric drill if it's not too large. Um, and, and the antelope really just need pinning. Now, I've seen two positions people put the antelope in. One, it's more running forward. The one I prefer is it rearing up, where you solidly contact both back hooves with the base in flat in full. First of all, it looks like the antelope's trying to trample its target. Secondly, it gives you more surface contact. Um, oh, I so think that's how the art is for it, isn't it? It is like that in the art as well. It's rearing right up. But uh, the examples on the 1.5 Kickstarter have it in the more running forward kind of pose, which still looks really you know, quite good. Um, yeah. So I'm going to say, oh, yeah, so the butcher, the only recommendation of the butcher, apart from, again, follow the build guide, is don't glue his cape on stick it on with some blue tack or something because trust me when you come to want to paint the butcher you're going to hate it if that cape is glued on like it is really frustrating and annoying oh yeah and i'm sorry about skipping about but i did want to say with the antelope be careful with the ears one of them doesn't fit quite right and may require a little bit of trimming when you're doing that really keep an eye on them like do it in a tray with a lip around the outside if you can like a, a like a dinner tray or something, because those ears go everywhere and you can lose them. And losing bits of these models sucks. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I mean, the Phoenix, you want to follow the build guide. That's definitely the most complex of the models to assemble. But personally, I think the trickiest one is the Watcher. I actually partially paint my Watchers and then assemble them and then finish painting them. Um, because trying to paint the way everything hangs out of it uh, is very difficult. Yeah. So anyway, as I say, basically for your first few sessions, all you're going to need is the four prologue survivors, an extra survivor if you play five or six players. So one for each of those. Um, of those, you do have the option to put together Old Joe and Young Rachel, who come on the same sprue as the Gold Smoke Knight. Old Joe is a delight to put together. He's really easy, like such a wonderful model, an amazing sculpt. Really, really easy to put together. Have you assembled Old Joe? I have not assembled any of the 1.5 stuff. Oh, well, Old Joe, you should get Old Joe assembled. He's so cool. Uh, but Young Rachel is a nightmare. Like, I'm experienced in putting models together, and that thing took me nearly two hours, because she is like 15 pieces. And she's the smallest survivor model like they have done since Snow. And it's bonkers trying to assemble her. So, take your time. And that gets to another thing. When you First of all, try and make sure you keep an eye on your pieces. When you're cutting them off the sprue, hold the piece as you cut it off. Press it down with a finger because otherwise the force of cutting it off the sprue can result in the piece flying up into the air and it disappear. And you'll hear stories from people time and time again saying that they lost some phoenix hands. So, yeah. Um, yeah, as pointed out, the intimacy survivors, yes, the intimacy survivors are also very hard to put together. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, so... Um, yep, I say that's it. I was saying yeah, four, four, four survivors plus one for each fifth and sixth player. 
White Lion, Antelope, and Butcher. And then you want Kingsman and Phoenix next in your second wave of stuff you put together. <sighs> so, yeah. Did you remember assembling your models, Josh? Long, long, long ago, yeah. Yeah? Did you have any problems? I don't think I built my intimacy ones right. I, I think they're still on pieces. Like, those two yeah. are still sitting in a bag somewhere. Or <laughs> a bunch of other survivors. Yeah, the intimacy ones are quite difficult to put together, and I, I will absolutely agree with that. They look look fantastic. Uh, and, and as Snoggard has pointed out in chat, it's tragic to have to cover their excellent butts. Hey, you don't have to. A bit of extra sculpting, you know, or uh, you could get uh, somebody to do it for you, and then you can have their butts on display. <laughs> yep. Anyway, so, if you've got your models assembled, the next thing to do is to sort out the cards. Now, to be honest... There's a lot of them, and you can get them sorted off into the tray with the dividers quite nicely. But to begin with, all you need is the White Line AI deck, which is black with the White Line face on it, Uh, the White Line hit location deck, which is grey, the White Line resource deck, which is yellow, Uh, and you should also get the White Line hunt deck just in case, which is like a brownie gold in colour. You also want the starting um, starting survivor gear, which is a square gear cards which are white on the back. There's six of each. They are founding stones and cloth. You want tokens, um, bleeding tokens in particular, and you want the rule book and the dice. And you'll want the disorder deck, won't you? Is there anything else I think you, you think you'll need, Josh, to start with? Do you need the disorder deck for the first fight? Does he? You can. He does have um, an intimidate action. He can deal brain damage. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. It's unlikely. Uh, yes, and, and, and pointed out basic resources as well. Yes, yeah. With basic resources, um, and you'll probably want the basic hunt events kicking around somewhere. So, prologue fight, follow the first story. That's the very first thing you want to be doing. It's incredibly well written. I think it's probably the best tutorial in the history of board gaming. I mean, I don't know what you think about it, Josh. It's it's like a video game tutorial. It's, it's so step-by-step and slowly feeds you all the information that the whole game does. It just does an amazing yeah. job of that. It does. Yeah. It is It is so good. But, I mean, what is it? Like, I've got it here. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight pages that runs you through just the, um, the, the, the showdown fight. And I think the starting white line, the prologue white line, is really well designed as well. It's a great teaching tool. I, I can't add any more Days to what you should be doing really than do this. And you probably, the first time you want to sit down with whoever it is who wants to learn the rules with you and play it, or if you've got a group you're teaching it to, you uh, you want to play it um, yourself, you know, like solo, so you can teach it to everyone else. Uh, um, in respect to questions like that, we'll have a section at the end where we deal with more kind of spoilery, tactic stuff about... Um, about these things, so if you can hold questions like that to near the end. Uh, sorry, I was just re- responding to chat with a question I'd rather not um, read out loud right now. Uh, also, I'd say, like, if on your solo play, you also want to work through pages 34 to 35, which works you through your first settlement phase, which is, like, again, really well done um, and, and just so nicely sorted. But if you are going to be, like, teaching people how to play this, then I cannot stress enough that you really should read all of the showdown section, all of the hunt section, 
and all of the settlement phase sections that follow. That is every page which goes from the first story all the way up to the brain trauma section, which is uh, severe injuries and brain trauma is page 86. So highly, highly recommended. You sit down and read page 26 to page 86. It is really vital. There's so much important stuff in these. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit later about some of the common rules pitfalls that people fall into. Um, but uh, just for now, I'm, I've got to say, oh, it's technically 85. There's no spoilers in any of these sections, except for maybe a few pictures of sample bits of gear and innovations and things like that. But they're like basic level stuff, It's and it's, it's so important. Uh, the other thing that's very important to read is if you flip to the back of the book and then move forward a few pages, there's a blue section called Glossary. That is where, like, so many rules are located. Glossary is the Quite best often. part of the book. The gloss, yeah, the glossary and the showdown pages. Let's be fair. <laughs> the showdown, but yeah, the glossary is so important. There's so many things in there. If you're not sure about something, often if you look up the given thing in the glossary, there'll be an answer there for you, or at least enough that you can make a good decision. Like, I know you told everyone just to read that whole rule section, but yeah. like, I don't think I've ever gone back to that rule section. I've always gone to the glossary to look up something. I do go back to the survival and collision rules quite often. Um, I think especially. the I think the glossary does a decent job of explaining those, though. Um, I think it does, but I find like the um, I find the collision rules, especially um, survivors colliding with survivors, is something that you sort of forget about. You know, uh, yeah. So, uh, but it, that that is definitely fair enough, Josh. I, I um I do agree that like. I don't go back to those sections as much as I as I do the you know the the hunt event sections and the timeline pages. But I think genuinely you want three bookmarks when you start, and that's a bookmark for the showdown section, specifically the survival actions, a bookmark for the um, serious injuries and brain traumas, and a bookmark for the glossary. Unfortunately, you only get two tags in your new 1.5 book, but hey, you know. <laughs> Well, we probably want, you probably want to tag in the hunt event section, but luckily it sits right after the serious injury, so it's pretty easy to, to, to tag. Yeah. All right. Um, so we're going to briefly go through some of the more common areas that people get a little confused on. Again, we're not going to talk specifically about any particular monsters, but just kind of a, a few different things. So, um, Josh, do you have do you have any you'd like to start with one? <sighs> So I know the biggest one, I don't know if it's the one we want to start with, is survival actions. I, I know that's a huge, huge thing. But I think we should start off with something a little bit more basic. Well, um, how about the monster controller? Because this is definitely one part that people um, that get a little confused about. Uh, to put it very simply, um, with the monster controller, with the monster targeting... Um, the monster controller gets to choose. Now, the, the rules are very clear on this. You do have to take the shortest route possible to the monster's target, but in the case of ties, the monster controller gets to choose and can choose stuff that's more beneficial for the survivors. And in fact, it's generally recommended that you should. I mean, you, you, you know, if you can choose for the monster to bowl down three of your survivors when it's going for one, or you can take a route where it won't knock anyone over, you should take the route where it won't knock anyone over. Um, there's no point trying to make the game game even harder than it, it can be. Um, 
So yeah, and the other thing is sometimes um, you will find that that some of the cards target like the survivor with the most of something. Zero is a number for that purposes. So if nobody meets that condition, they can be targeted. Um, for example, if the card says uh, target with the uh, closest threat with the most bleeding tokens and nobody has any bleeding tokens, it's going to be the closest threat, which does bring us on to understanding monster targeting um, bits and pieces. So definitely worth reading the book again, but to understand the facing is every space in a straight line from the front of the monster space forward. So you run a line from the monster space across the whole showdown board. Everything in front of that is the facing. Anywhere else is the field of view, except for the spots that are indicated on the showdown board on the showdown page as being the blind spot. Like for the white line, this is the two spaces directly behind it. Most cases, the blind spot is behind the monster, but it's not always that case. So you want to pay attention and watch. I know that some people think once they're in the blind spot, they will not be targeted at all by monsters. Um, and that's not the case. Some cards just say closest survivor. And if, if you've got a closest survivor going on, then heck, if you're the one in the blind spot and nobody else is at what range one, the one space away from the monster, you're the target. Yeah. Uh, one question I, it's not like a question. The one thing we sometimes run into is the targeting says the last survivor to wound. And yes. It might have been two or three rounds since anyone's actually won the monster and we all forgot who was the last person to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that can be a problem. You kind of forget, um, who, who it is. You sort of have to run back. It's a bit much to keep a track of though, I think. So it's sort of one of those things. I think where you've got to take common sense and just be like, well, who can I remember was the last person to wound? And if you're not entirely right, well, I mean, the monster's got it wrong. And, you, you know, you don't worry about it. Yeah, so sometimes I'll go to the next targeting if there's a second <laughs> one on there. Just be like, all right, well, we'll just go to the next one because we don't even recall who did it. Yeah. Well, that nicely pushes into something, I think, which is just like this game experience is meant to be fast. So if you're not sure on something, just make a decision and move on. Now, there is the um, the rule of death in the book. Uh, this gets misapplied a lot. But the rule of death essentially is, while you're playing, if you can't quickly find the answer to a ruling, just rule in favor of the monster. That's all rule of death essentially is. It's a shortcut to get you through things quickly. If somebody says, like in every situation, you must always pick the worst outcome for the survivors, and it's going to be that because that's rule of death. That's not what rule of death's for. It's a, a quick way of resolving things in the game, in the heat of the moment. And that's like, I think, how Poots wants us to play and how I, like, in these podcasts, I can sound very technical and very finicky and very, like, detail-orientated. When I get down to playing, I'm more on that side of, like, let's just get it going, be quick, make mistakes, doesn't matter, have fun, especially when I play with my friends and people I know. It's like, just just get through it. So, yeah, exactly, Josh, you know, to go back to your point if I can't remember who the, who's, who's the last person to wound it, then we'll move on to the next targeting step as long as it targets someone. Uh, did you want to go through survival actions then now? Because I do think that is like pretty important to talk about. Yeah, let's, let's, let's go over the survival actions. Yeah. So we have... There's, you start off the game with just dodge, right? Uh, yes, you do. Yeah. All right. So, so when, when can you use... Well, let's just go over when you could use dodge. We'll go one at a time. Um, <laughs> yes, okay. So, dodge... Well, dodge you use when it's... I'm trying to remember. I will get exactly the wording right. This is when you are hit 
right? And that's not when you take damage, but it's specifically when the word is hit. And you can spend one survival to dodge, which will cancel a monster hit. Uh, you do that after the hit location is rolled, but before you roll for any severe injuries. Um, additionally, you cannot do it if you are the attacking survivor and you're hit by a reaction, which is something we'll go into more detail later. Yeah, that's one rule we messed up a bunch when we first started playing was yeah. the reaction part that you can't you can't use survival action then. Yeah. All right. So then the uh, slightly or slightly spoilery. The next thing you get is encourage, which I believe is the only one you could do at any time. Correct. Uh, yeah, encourage um, apparently is at any time unless they're deaf because you can't encourage people who are deaf. All right. So you can't encourage people that are deaf. Um, yeah, and, and otherwise, otherwise, like it's really loose. What at any time means? It doesn't seem to even require flow steps. You seem to be able to do it just even before a monster targets. I the it's the rule I'm the least like conscious on. All right, so then I'll, I'll go in the next two, and I know you have to run off for just a second. I'll go yep. over the last two. Uh, so the last two things we have is uh, surge and dash, which can only be used at certain times. They could be used. In between other survivors' actions, they can be used during a reaction of a monster. So if a monster, someone attacks the monster, the monster reacts. During that reaction, someone else could actually use a survival to dash or surge in or out of the way. Um, and then uh, you do it on the monster's turn between a flow step. So a flow step is – on the cards, they look like a little arrow pointing down. It's between – they're typically between the pick target and the uh, the move and attack action. Uh, so that'll allow you to, once you pick the target, you can say, all right, I am now going to try to attack the monster to stop it or somehow or try to run away from the monster. Uh, no, with that flow there, even if you do move out of the way and you're no longer that would qualify for that target, you are still the target because it's already picked you. Are you talking about Dash? Yeah, I kind of put dash and search together because they have the same same rules. Yeah, yeah, th- those are both um, action uh, survival actions you'll pick up later on. Yeah, um, and then yeah. I, we went over you can use them during reactions between survivors' turns and during flow steps. Is there anywhere else, or is that all of them? Um, well, uh, that there is there is one more, but we don't. There's no point in us talking about that one here. It's um, it's a bit too much of a spoiler. I feel. Um, but it's worth talking about survivor opportunities. Survival opportunities, sorry. So this is like where... These are the only times that you can dash or surge. So they're specific. You can do it between the actions on a survivor's turn. An action is a move or an activation. You can do it during flows on monster cards. You can do it at specific points during survivor attacks. You can do it when a monster is knocked down. So you, you want to you want to remember that. So you can like go... Move, dash, activate to attack, surge to attack if you wanted to, because you're getting those opportunities, because um, they're between your actions. But you couldn't move two spaces, surge to attack, and then move two more spaces. Yeah. Uh, do we want to talk about, it's not, I don't know how spoiler, cumbersome weapons and how you can kind of... Um, I think that, I'd rather leave that for people playing to kind of like um, learn and discover, yeah, that's sort of okay. something they can... Yeah. That's fine. Um, but the, the big thing I would say with survival actions is it's very important for you to understand how they work when you're attacking. Because when you attack, 
the, the, the survivor who is attacking is locked out of being able to do any survival actions. But they will create points where other characters can do survival actions during it. So say, so let's just say you've attacked, you've hit your white lion, okay? Now, then there's um, two specific opportunities where other survivors can do things with their survival actions. This is after a roll to wound has been made, but before a reaction resolves. There has to have a, be a reaction on the card for the for, for this opportunity to occur. So if the location does not have any reaction on it, which is a diamond with either an R, a W, or an F on it, and it'll say, like, wound, reflex, or failure, that's a reaction, you don't get that. And Question. the second one is... Yep. So does the reaction have to be tr- triggerable? So if it's only on a failure and you do wound, can you still use a survival action there? Uh, it is before a monster resolves its reaction. So I, this is like the, if I read the specific word and it's after the attacker rolls to wound, but before a monster resolves its reaction. If hit location does not have a reaction, there is no opportunity for survivors to act. That's page 79 of the rule book. Um, so this is, from what I'm seeing from the example, you need the reaction to trigger, but the wording here isn't exact. Uh, this is something we probably want to go and check the FACU to see if there's a further expansion on it. But I don't know. I mean, I play it that uh, the, the the reaction needs to be happening for people to react. Because it does say if a hit location does not have a reaction, well, if you haven't hit the reaction condition, there isn't a reaction happening, is my, my reasoning. I think I would agree with that. I, I... Yeah. You know, there's no point giving people more survival opportunities than really they fairly should have. Uh, the second survival opportunity is when you cause a critical wound after the wound effect is applied, but before the card is discarded. Um, so, yeah. And then you have to fully resolve the survival action before you go back to the original attacker's action. So it can get very complicated, and potentially during one survivor's attack, three other survivors could do things. And they could all do, like, six things. Because they could dash, surge, dash, surge, dash, surge, every single one of them. Um, isn't there one more if the monster is knocked down? Everyone gets survival action? Yeah, I did I did mention that at the survival opportunities. Um, but yeah, we were going to mention uh, in a little bit more details. It's any time it's outside of the flow and a monster gets knocked down, even if it's knocked down its own turn, you get an opportunity to do survival actions. So that's like, you can dash and surge. Now, um, whoa, what was I going to... Yeah, so... The other thing that I think is very important to note is how monster death occurs, which is if a monster has no cards in its AI deck or discard pile, when it takes a wound, it dies. Now, if it has drawn a card, an AI card, its last AI card, and it's in the process of performing that, and you surge on the flow step and manage to kill the monster, hit the monster, the monster will die, Okay. So you've got this nice opportunity where the monster only has one AI card left that you can kill it without it actually resolving that one card left, which effectively reduces its wound points by one. And this is something to remember. It's, it's quite useful. Um, but yeah, that's like I, I don't want to talk too much more further about Surge and Dash because they are further in the advanced section, but that's sort of like worth paying attention to. Um, other things. 
Oh, well, that's a fair question. What if the last day yeah. card is a mood? Well, um, if it's a mood, it would need to have a flow step on it for you to have the survival opportunity to do anything. Um, if it pulls the mood into play, then it is down to its basic actions, so it, it can take one wound. Um, any moods that a monster puts in play effectively reduce the total number of wounds the monster has while those wounds are out of the deck and doing their things. Uh, question, Fen. What if the mood in play says it is discarded upon a wound and has no cards in play? Uh, well, you have wounded the monster and there are no cards in the discard pile hit location deck so the monster's dead, in my opinion. And then you would check. The, like, he's got no chance to discard the wounds. Okay. You know, it, it, these are two triggers happening at the same time and effectively monster controller gets to decide when there's multiple triggers happening at once, so... There's no reason to not just kill the monster there and then. I imagine I would be surprised to find out somewhere that that is the official ruling as well. Uh, right. Um, other things. So another thing that's worth understanding is um, cursed, irreplaceable, unique, and keywords. So this is gear. So um, on your lovely gear cards, you're going to have just below the name a number of things which are in italics, and they will include stuff like weapon, Item, armor, uh, heavy, fragile, stinky, that kind of stuff. Now, these keywords, they don't do anything by themselves, but other stuff will call to them. So sometimes something will say, if a survivor has any heavy gear, then you have to do this. Or if a survivor is wearing stinky gear, you have to do this. So if you ever get a card that says like something like that and you're not sure, have a look at the keywords on your gear. And you may well find the reference there. If you're not sure, check the glossary. And the glossary will often have them in here. Uh, for example, soluble, a, key, a gear keyword able to be dissolved in liquid. So it doesn't do anything by itself soluble, but it links to other things. Um, and then we've got, so the other ones, right, cursed. When you get a cursed piece of gear, it attaches itself to a survivor. It must always be in that survivor's gear grid. And when they die, it will be lost. Irreplaceable. Basically, if a survivor dies holding that gear, that gear is lost. So the Lance of Longinus, for example, is irreplaceable, so it will be lost when the survivor holding it dies. Unique means you can only have one of that gear in your settlement, but if you lose that one gear for whatever reason, you can craft it again at a later date. Um, and other is a keyword which you want to pay close attention to because saviors cannot use other gear. And a lot of people make this mistake. I've, I, I'm not going to go into specific details, but like I've heard people talking about having other gear when they shouldn't and doing crazy things. So you want to watch out for things being other gear. Um, is there any other keywords and special abilities like that that should be paid attention to, Josh? Um, just because this is asking Discord, uh, finesse. It, it, oh. th there's nothing. There's nothing currently that uses finesse. That yeah, it's, yeah. it's just the keyword right now. It is just the keyword. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, uh, of all of the special abilities on weapons, and they're all in the glossary, Savage, I think, is the one that's hardest to get your head around. Like, I still have to look up Savage occasionally. I don't know about you, Josh. Do you have? Do you find Savage fairly easy and intuitive? I think the only weapon I typically use it on is the weapon, the original weapon you see it on, and I think it has a description on there. Cause yeah. They're all, so for the game, everyone playing... Typically, the early weapon, the first time you see a certain keyword, that weapon will spell it out, or that item yes. would spell it out. Um, and then future items will not spell it out. It will just have that that on there. So 
well, that's one of the where we talked about like video game tutorial. The game slowly teaches you the new terms and stuff, and kind of has that reminder there. And then later in the game, you're like, oh, "I already know what this is. I don't even need that reminder." And if yeah. you do forget, you just go to the glossary, and it's all there. Yeah, and that's a, a good thing as well because um, the, when you get the later versions of said item with the different keyword on it, it, it won't have the exp- explanation text at the bottom. And it's easy for you to forget that what that explanation text means is check the glossary for the full rules on how this text works, you know. So, um, I mean, there, there, there are some good examples of that where people get confused because they forget that the, the given keyword is, is shorthand for the full text elsewhere. Uh, ooh, right. Other things people have trouble with is special showdowns with nemesis monsters, that whole thing. So, Easy way to remember this. If it appears on your time, basic timeline as it stands, which you have on the little pad, then that is going to be a normal showdown that is going to replace the quarry hunt for that year. But, um, if there are special circumstances that will say a special showdown, then that is going to occur in the middle of your settlement phase. And you want to follow the nice card that you get, which has like, goes black, gray, black, gray. It shows you all the steps in the settlement has a red bar showing you how to do where to do a special showdown and how to deal with it. This happens less in the core game than it does with some expansions but uh, it's it's worth checking out. Now if you're not sure whether a given showdown should replace the hunt event or not, then have a look at the the showdown page uh, and it will tell you right there in in the grey box at the top whether um, you have a hunt phase or not. Um. So Another thing to note: the uh, also the settlement board has a good timeline on it too, not just that little, the little chit. Board. It does, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right. So, is there any other common rules that uh, that you think people? I think that's mostly everything. There is. A... Oh, uh, yeah. Go on. Sorry. I was going to say there is a lot of like commute. I don't want to say community rules. There's. There's a, an official FAQ, and then there's just a bunch of random stuff on the Kingdom Death Twitter and other random places with random rules, too. And and it's not something to really worry about too much, I think. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, um, it's very important to note that brain traumas and severe injuries are two separate things um, because of the way they interact with certain gear items. So just be aware, a brain trauma is not a severe injury, and a severe injury is not a brain trauma. I think also mentioning during the hunt phase, you can't get either of those. Or t- uh, you, Strictly speaking, you can, but uh, yes, it's, I think it's better to say if you receive event damage during the hunt phase, you will not roll on the severe table or the brain trauma table. Yeah, uh, unless it says otherwise. Like, it, yes. it's, it's you typically don't. Um, I know a lot of people get that messed up, but be like, oh, I... I took the severe injury. I'm like, you you shouldn't have unless something says, like, you get a severe injury and you roll. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. So, um, I mean, well, oh, yeah, some other things. Um, when you d- check out the basic hunt events, be aware that there are some special hunt events in there. Separate them out. They don't happen normally. They need to be triggered separately by certain things. So watch out for that. And on the back, they say special hunt event, I believe. They, they do, but they look almost identical apart from that. So I understand why people might. Uh, yeah, yeah. Might... Just say it like they, they, there's a way to clearly see them. They, they, they do yes. have, they say something different on the back. <laughs> they, they do, they do. Um, 
was yeah uh the star on cards is the monster level that's not easy to find somebody asked that like recently and it took me ages to find the exact page that lists it which is page 55 um now uh i think what i want to do uh is we're going to talk now about like um variants unless you have anything more you'd like to say on 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 general rules that people forget josh uh, I think that is. I think that's mostly everything. Yeah. So I think like mostly the answer to your first port of call is the rule book and the glossary. Then check the FAQ. Then have a look around online. Um, and it, you know, it, but in the heat of the moment, just make a fast decision and don't worry if it's right or wrong. You can yeah. correct it in future times because I mean the world of Kingdom Death is immutable and things change from one moment to the next anyway. Um, some other things to mention. Um. Fans, right? Heat of time. Uh, if you want to look online, you could also join our Discord channel. Fan has his Discord channel. There is a KDM Discord channel, and everyone's very helpful with rule questions typically, and yes, they get they answered are. very quickly. I, I, I don't, I don't think it takes like longer than like twenty minutes to get a rule question answered on any of those servers. Yeah, the uh, Kingdom Death Discord is off the subreddit, so reddit slash r slash Kingdom Death, and you'll find it in the sidebar. And yeah, there are some very knowledgeable people in there. There's almost always somebody who knows the answer or knows how to find the answer at any time of day. Yeah. So yeah, and uh, and of course, your own Discord has um as yourself and everyone else, and people do are very helpful with rules questions there. Uh, yeah. So. All right. So let's talk about the uh, variants. So, um, this is now, it's not exactly spoilers, but uh, it's going into a little bit, it's kind of like, the ga- there are game variants on page 226 to 227. Now, um, one of them is five to six players, and I'm just going to say right now, be very careful with these rules, because they, they're not very well balanced, they don't work fantastically, um, and it's been a source of a lot of discussion in the community to try and get a set of rules that work fairly. Have you had a go with these at all, Josh? That's how we tried to do our first People of the Stars. <laughs> and that was that was the group of us of Anne, Aaron, me, Matt, Nicole, and Fabio. I think that uh, we spent like half a day doing it. It was it was a slaughterhouse. Yeah. So if you're not sure why, it's because all monsters have plus two damage and plus one speed at the start of the showdown. This is a huge increase in the amount of damage the monster puts out. Like exponential. It's really horrific. And they have more wounds as well. And you don't get any extra rewards for killing these extra tough hard monsters. And people have found it's just not quite quite balanced. So um, you can have a look around online. Uh, I do have on my Patreon available for everyone a set of five to six player rules that I refined over three campaigns that work fairly well. They're not perfect. Um, but I mean, what is? Uh, they are fun though. They result in a good experience. Um, without getting horribly destroyed in the early game and having no challenge in the late game. Uh, yeah. um, now, you have Quick Mode, which I quite like, uh, if you haven't got a lot of time, but it's not amazing. I'm not going to go into it in big details. Apparently, it's just to speed things up, but what it basically does is make the game more deadly. Uh, but Hero Mode is the one I really wanted to like talk about, which is... If you are playing and you keep dying and you keep having problems, go and have a look at Hero Mode. This makes, like, Survivor's legendary immortal heroes. Now, the Pathfinders of Death expansion is going to expand on this, as an expansion does. 
Um, but the basic version is if the survivor dies, instead they get knocked unconscious, they skip the next hunt box on the survivor record sheet, they go back to the settlement at the end of the showdown, even if everyone gets knocked out. So you might be looking at that like, oh, well, this is Kingdom Death. Like, if we're not dying, where's the risk? Well, the answer there is you don't get any resources from that hunt if everyone gets knocked out. You don't gain any experience. You don't gain a weapon proficiency. You don't get any stronger. Basically, you waste an entire year. So there is still, you do not want to get knocked out. And on top of that, these survivors still take permanent injuries and can end up getting retired because they're too badly hurt. So there's still a lot of risk and jeopardy in it. And it's a good way to play with people who are kind of like, they're not happy with the randomness of, of somebody just like possibly dying or, you know, anything like that. If you play with people you think will get too attached to their survivors, you can put this mode in. And also, um, which I think is a silly addition that's not needed, but it is fun. When you name a survivor, in addition to one survival, you can choose to gain permanent accuracy, evasion, strength, luck, or speed, which is like, it really makes the game a lot easier. That part of hero mode, I don't think you necessarily need, but if you want to explore the content and have a bit more fun, it's there. And, you know, you should consider it. And I've played hero mode. It still can be a challenge. It's fun. <sighs> In contrast, then, there's death mode, which uh, you can have a look at that one on page 226. But, uh, my God, it is it makes every single gear irreplaceable. Have, have you ever played death mode? I have played death mode. If you haven't got a lot of time and you're playing for an afternoon, you know, and you're like, let's see how far we can get, you can just sit out on death mode. Um but, like, the prologue White Lion gets a plus one damage token, so he's, like, he's horrific. It's uh, it's an absolute beating. But, um, yeah, I have played Death Mode a couple of times, and it is good fun, but it's not how I would play an entire campaign, because, ugh, you know. All gear being irreplaceable is rough. Yeah. Um, you played... Now, there's some custom campaigns, and this is part of, I think, where Poots is sort of... He wants the community to go towards more of these unusual custom content. Uh, I definitely consider having a go of some of these. Um, one that many people recommend is the Seven Swordsmen, which is you get seven ageless swordsmen. They will not ever have kids. They all start with a sword mastery, and um, they uh, and basically you have to try and complete the campaign with seven guys, which is a lot harder than it sounds, even if they're all sword masters to start with. Um, and there's People of the Skull, which is like a fun variant where all your gear crafted has to be made of bone, and there's like a bone skull ritual. Uh, that's great. Like, it's very enjoyable, but like, my goodness, after a while, your survivors are really powerful. I think you've played it, haven't you, Josh? I have not played People no? of the Skull. I think that might be like one of our campaigns after we finish this one and then People of the Suns probably. Well, we might do like a People of the Skull. I think that would be fun. Mm. Well, yeah, yeah. You can just stick People of the Skull into like any campaign. I mean, you could do People of the Skull in People of the Sun. So then you won't be allowed to wear any heavy gear and you would have to use everything with bone in the keyword. Which would be really interesting. <laughs> um, and then you have played the, the Twilight Night in Training campaign, haven't you? Yeah, we did that with the quick mode. For, uh, we did that for our little marathon stream. Yeah, I, I, I vaguely remember that. It, it was quite fun, wasn't it? Yeah, we got pretty far on it, I think. I don't recall how far we got. We got year like eight, I think. Mm, that's pretty good. Um, for those of you who aren't aware, the Twilight Night in Training is basically one member of your hunt party to start with, has a Twilight Sword. Uh, they never age... Um, sorry, they don't get age tokens. They can hunt when retired. They never check their skip hunt box, and they must always depart. And if they die, you lose. So it is quite, like, 
uh, and they have to deal with the hooded knight turning up and challenging them and all sorts of things and it's quite fun to see how far you can get when you you realize just how fragile one survivor is when you play twilight night in training I just had a fun idea off that but the, it's not a conversation for uh this podcast <laughs> i want to do katana mastering training at some point but yeah uh, yeah. Um, yeah one question i know we already went over roles did they change how the solo one about monster controller token and no that is still the same um, so if you're not sure, the official rules for solo play is you're not supposed to use the monster controller token. Uh, so normally when you play, if the, you pass the monster controller token around between the survivors and the player controlling that survivor, if they target their survivor, they'll gain a bonus one insanity. Um, the, the solo rules say don't use that, don't get the bonus insanity, which doesn't do that much in the core game, but it does break things if you use the Spidiculous expansion. It does break some stuff in the core game now of late game. Oh yes, of course, yes. 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 So th- yeah. that was a question. It's it's yep. a, um, typically for monster controller, the best thing to do is just pass around from survivor. I think the rules say to pass around from player to player. Yeah, um, and it, it, you should really just do it survivor. So if you're playing two survivors and you you're playing a group of three or a group of two, just pass it from survivor to survivor, and they're they're the monster controller. That's the easiest way to do it. Yeah, um, and if they die, you still pass it to the blank space where they are, and there is no monster control, no no survivor for the monster to target and get the bonus. Yeah, so um, that's one of the things I'm surprised they didn't update in the book, but that's a, just one of those little side rules that are there. Yeah. Oh, you, you know, yeah. I mean, people haven't been following that part of the solo rules for a long time now, and you know, so it's, that's that's fine. Um, I started to think of something else, and then I completely slipped my mind so i think maybe we just go on to talk a little bit about expansions now sure okay so this this is like uh, technically the pledge manager is still open while we're recording this live but it's almost certainly going to be closed but the question that often goes around and i have tried to answer this with detailed reviews is what expansions should i get so first of all we absolutely cannot answer the question on any of the expansions that have not been released before. So don't ask about the Frog Dog or the Oblivion Mosquito. We've got no clue. And, and that's an honest truth. But the ones that have been out for a while, um, it's become fairly well established. And Josh, would you like to read off the community favorites for the quarries? For the quarries, off the top of my head, uh, we have Gorm, Dragon Knight, yep. DBK, and Sunstalker, I think those are the top one, the top four. Yes, yeah, those are so those are the, those are the most popular ones. Uh, and then the Flower Knight slots in at the fifth place, which is a little it's a little controversial. The Flower Knight. Um, so we're going to give you a quick primer, very brief on what each one of those expansions is like, um, so you can decide, you know, whether you like it. So, uh, would you like to go first, or shall I? And we can alternate. All right. Well, first up, we have Gorm. Which is a early quarry, adds a lot of interesting early game stuff, and I don't I don't want to say it makes the game easier or harder. It, it's just a little bit different. What do you think, yeah. Ben? Uh, yeah, yeah. It it expands and gives you more access to more different weapon types in the early game. Uh, it forces you to play in a slightly different style from the way you do with just the core. And it gives you um, more variety to hunt across the entire campaign. And also, I think it's worth saying that the monster feels very different to fight at level 1, level 2, and level 3. So it's like, 
it's a very well loved expansion because it adds a lot of content to every campaign you put it in. Yeah, and to go off that, so the level one, level two, and level three are all very, very different feels on like mm-hmm. the other monsters. So it almost feels like you have three different monsters for just getting the it, one. It does, yeah. And it's a it's a baby faced pachyderm. Like it's got a combination of tantrums, uh, elephant traits, and anglerfish stuff going on. I mean, a heck, it even acts like a disco ball at one point, so how can you not love it? Although it is ugly. Uh, right, I'm going to take the Dung Beetle Knight. So, Dung Beetle Knight is a kind of a Phoenix tier monster. It appears at Lantern Year 8. Uh, it is a great expansion to the core game because it, it provides a few mechanics that upgrade bits and pieces in the core game. Uh, it also has a very unique armor set that isn't technically armor and doesn't work in the same way as normal armor. So you can do mix and matches of pieces, and you can actually like wear bits of two armor sets together and stuff like that. It has an incredibly unique fight. It's a combination of like a beetle that pushes a dung ball around and a sword-wielding knight. It is challenging. It is never, ever guaranteed you're going to beat the dung beetle knight. It's always difficult. And at level three, it is arguably the hardest non-legendary in the mon- monster in the game. It's it's got some wonderful mechanics. It introduces farming, and it is always a delight. And I have it in every single one of my campaigns. Yeah. All right. How so about you, Josh? I, I yeah, DPK has always been fun. I mean, it's I don't want to say like I mean it, the fight's always hard, but it doesn't make the game harder. Like, no, it doesn't. It, he doesn't add anything else outside of his fight that makes the game harder. Like the fight itself is more difficult, but. Yeah. Overall gameplay doesn't get hard, like where some other expansions kind of sway the game in easier hardness. Yes. All right. So I guess we'll go to the next one. I'm going to go into the Dragon King because I know you want to talk about the other one because it's one of your favorites. And also because you haven't experienced so much of the other one. Yeah, that's true too. So uh, the Dragon King is another late game. Uh, same year as the DBK, I believe, a year nine. Yes. Eight. Yes, he is. Yep. Um, and uh, again, he difficult wise doesn't changes much um and core game wise he doesn't he doesn't add too much to the core game uh but the big thing the dragon king has is it does have its own campaign the people of the stars which is a very very fun campaign i know it's fen's favorite campaign out of all the ones they are currently uh and we just finished doing that campaign we, we failed it but we we finished it um yeah and it's regarded as the the best campaign out of the three current campaigns out there yeah, it's a very well-beloved campaign. Um, the Dragon King himself is, he feels a lot like the Phoenix in that it's an amazing fight. It's really good fun to go toe-to-toe with him, but you might, like the gear, you might be like, oh, this doesn't seem as good as some of the generic stuff I can get elsewhere. Still, like, he is he is a badass, he is really cool, and People of the Stars is is amazing. It's really good, so... I also think like, the Dragon King is probably one of the coolest models to bring out yeah, on the table. And he's like not, the biggest. Yeah. What's not to love about a gigantic nuclear-powered dragon, you know? Last of his kind. He's amazing. Um, in contrast, the uh, Sunstalker, uh, I think the Sunstalker is its close between it and the Gorm, whether it's the most rounded and interesting quarry in the entire game. I think gear and balance-wise, the Sunstalker is better than the Gorm. But the Gorm, because it turns up in the very first year, uh, is kind of like it, 
it's it's available for longer to experience the content. But the Sunstalker is a squid slash shark slash sun creature. Um, it is a little bit controversial because the front tentacle uh, looks like a phallus. It's not a phallus. It's an ovipositor. It's for laying eggs, but that doesn't really matter. That's not what you can explain to your wife when you're, you know, assembling the model. Um, if you don't like it, that bit of it, you can, like, hire people to convert the tentacle. It's been done by quite a few commission painters. I can do it myself. Plug, plug. Um, the Sunstalker itself is an amazingly interesting fight. It's unique. It's unusual. Uh, it has a lot of special mechanics that are different. Uh, and also, the gear is all incredible. I don't think there is a single piece of bad gear. It is the ideal expansion for people who love bows. It's also the ideal expansion for people who love playing rogue types. If you want to play somebody who stabs things in the back, you want the Sunstorm. So it's like... Mm. And then we have People of the Sun, which is the campaign specific. It's a Japanese-themed campaign. Um, it is uh, about... Well, about people who find a pool filled with um, eggs and decide to look after the pool and the community that uh, arises around it. Uh, they uniquely cannot wear um, heavy gear. So it changes things a bit. And also the campaign, most uniquely, you don't face nemesis monsters normally. You face them all near the end in kind of like a boss rush type thing. Um, it's, I don't think it's as good a campaign as People of the, Sun, of the Stars, but I do think it's one that everybody should play at least once. Um, it's, it's cool. Like Sunstalker is just such a well-designed and, and rounded expansion. And uh, then we have the Flower Knight. Josh? So Flower Knight is probably one of the prettiest models, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, overall, though, it does make the game easier. Um, the Flower Knight can be... Uh, a very, very easy fight, almost to the level of a prologue, White Lion. Yes. Um, and it has interesting mechanics and everything like that, but a lot of its gear and things like that make the game a, a lot easier. So if you're having issues with the game and you're having a hard time, the Flower Knight's something good to add. Um, if you want something to make the game more difficult, it, it's, you can still play with it. It's just, you can control what you build off of that and what you do with some of the stuff. Yeah, yeah. The, the Flower Knight, I think, is the like a, a good expansion for players who are struggling a bit and want something that's easier to hunt. That's um, going to give them a lot of resources and make life a bit easier. And also for people who super super love um, bows and things. So it's uh, so it, Matt. Yeah, yeah. So Matt, but we know how much Matt loves the uh, the gear from the. Flower Knight. Um, it's a little controversial just because for players who've been playing a long time, it does make the game a little bit too easy and it can become a bit of a crutch. But that's no reason to be like, I don't want it as a uh, as a player. It's and it's also an early quarry. It's like level. It's year four, right? Four or five? Uh, yeah, it turns up Lantern year five. Yeah, so it does fill a little gap in the um, in there. So that's it's. I, I, I still like the Flower Knight, and I would if somebody said they're getting it, I don't think that they'd be making a mistake at all. It's a, it's it's such a pretty expansion, and so much of it is really great. Um, then on the Nemesis monster side, basically we skipped. Two. We skipped what did we skip? We skipped Spidiculous and uh, Lion God. 
we're just talking about the, the recommended one? ones, okay. the top ones. Yeah, okay. yeah. Either it's Spiridiculous and Lion God fall behind the others. Yeah, and you know, if people want them, then that's fine. I've written reviews on them. I I don't think that the beginning players should be looking to get either of those unless they really like the models. You know. All right, I agree. Yeah, they're, they're a little yeah. bit more uh, harder end game, not end game, yeah. but harder content to for a new player. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, right, so on the Nemesis, uh, you've got four Nemesis expansions. Um, I'm going to say I think two of them should be bought ahead of the others in priority. Uh, and Josh, correct me if you uh, disagree with this, but I think the Manhunter and the Slender Man are the ones that people should be looking to get. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. So I'm going to take Slender Man and explain why. So do you want to go with Manhunter? Sure, that sounds good. Uh, right, so Slenderman. Um, I will say, like the downside, so to speak, of the Slenderman is it's a little. It is obviously it's an internet legend. So for some people, it might be a little hokey that it's kind of turned up in Kingdom Death. But uh, I mean, let's face it, there is a sense of humor to Kingdom Death. There are some strange, weird monsters. We're going to have Atmos turning up, Reverse Santa. So you know, this these kind of. Uh, nemesis monsters are going to be a little weird and silly from time to time. Though I um, think they did a good job putting him in the KDM world. They absolutely did. And, you know, the Slender Man is thematically brought in very well. Uh, it is the only Nemesis monster at the moment that has craftable gear. Um, additionally, the ne- Slender Man is the only Nemesis monster that directly replaces a core game Nemesis. So the Slender Man will replace the Kingsman. So it changes the feel of your campaign because no longer do you have the Kingsman turning up, you have the Slender Man instead. The Slender Man is, in my opinion, as hard as the Kingsman, but just different uh, to fight. So, uh, you know. It's a very unique fight, and make sure you read the rules first. That's Absolutely. <laughs> yes, read the rules thoroughly. Um, the, the craftable gear is almost all, like, excellent or unique or interesting. There's some really good stuff in there. And um, I, I gotta say, like the Slenderman has risen up uh, to become one of my favorites over time. Like, really do like it a lot. And his gear all intertwines with the core monsters, right? It, it does. He works very well as an expansion to the core game. So, like, I do think uh, after your first campaign, you do all the core monsters. I think you could do very well adding having a second campaign with, say, the Gorm, the Dung Beetle Knight, the Slenderman, and one other expansion that you like, and that will give you an interesting spin. Uh, on the other content. Um, right, so would you like to take us away on the Manhunter? So the Manhunter is... He, he's just a special encounter nemesis. He comes in in timeline every now and then. Uh, yeah. You never actually like like the Butcher or the Hand or the Kingsman go out like against him. He always he just comes around, strolls around town, and uh, suplexes everyone, basically. That's that's his thing. <laughs> um, he, 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 he is the Gravedigger Reborn. Um and uh, he's he's a lot of fun, and he has he some is. very cool, unique gear that he hands out that I think Hand, is very cool. Hands out. You know, I've ne- we've never lost against him. I, yeah. I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't know if he's. Th- we find him easy, but yeah, I, I don't know what his defeat condition is. I know there's a story that goes with it. I've never. I, I can't tell you about that side of the expansion. I, I just we haven't had that happen. Yeah. So a question from chat is, does the Manhunter replace any nemesis? 
or Nemesai? The answer is no. Um, he is one of the special showdown Nemesis monsters. What he does is he will turn up and interrupt your development phase, and you have a special showdown against him, and then you will carry on and have a hunt at the end of the year, or have a normal Nemesis encounter if you were due to have one of those. So he's like, he adds an extra fight to the timeline for each time he turns up, and he turns up four times. And one thing to note, uh, so we have him, and then what's the other nemesis we got? We got the uh, Lion Knight and... The tree. The tree, okay. Uh, just to note, if you put all the nemesis in at once, you do have some crazy timeline stuff happening. Yeah, yeah, you um, do. So just be careful with that. Uh, we may also quickly note um, the lowly tree in my opinion is actually really good to fight it's really interesting it's just you pay a lot for what you get so you know it's not good value for money but I put it in every one of my campaigns content wise it's not good value for money it's a really cool miniature really cool, and that's, that, really, and that's yeah. why it's so much money <laughs> it is yeah it's the miniature um, right then there is the Lion Knight, I guess we can briefly touch on. Uh, he adds a bit of a different tone to the game. He's a bit more kind of jovial, lighthearted. Um, he, he's a, he does have some of the best content in the game in that he'll give you special hybrid armors that uh, you can craft out of core monster pieces and put them together, core monster armor. It's really cool. They're great. Uh, and his his special unique items you can get from him are also really unusual and cool. Um, but I'm not a super fan of the Lion Knight, and I find him a little frustrating personally. So yeah, that he's a little controversial um, in regards to some people love him, some people hate him. I guess he's a bit like Marmite. And I wish I didn't know that all the nemesis tend to make the game harder for the most part. Uh, Slenderman's one of the weird ones because he replaces. Otherwise, you're just yeah. you have more fights that you need to do. Yeah, you also means you get more opportunities for weapon mastery as well. So you know it can be easier to get to weapon mastery as long as you don't lose your people along the way. Yeah, uh, and then we may as well briefly touch on the last uh, expansion, which is Green Armor. Um, if you have bought the Gorm, the Flower Knight. The Lion Knight, the Dung Beetle Knight, and the Manhunter expansion, then you've almost got everything you need for green armor. You're just missing one innovation card from Spidiculous. So you can either, like, proxy it, naughty, or you can get Spidiculous. I think green armor is actually something that everybody should try and make at some point. It's good fun and very challenging, and it teaches you a lot about the game to try and make it. I uh, also wanted to grab a question from chat. They were asking if the new, uh, not the new expansions, but the current expansions, if they got any uh, balance issues like the 1.5 core monsters did. Uh, there is no balance changes from what we've been told, um, and yeah. that will probably be in the campaign of death. Yeah, uh, from what from what I've gathered as well, uh, any material to update the expansion monsters from the first wave, should we call them the wave one expansion monsters? Yeah. Uh, or technically, it's called the Wave Two Expansion Monsters because that's when they're arriving in the Kickstarter. The Wave Two Expansion Monsters are not getting the updates till Campaigns of Death, which will happen in Wave Four. We don't exactly what there's going to be. I will say some of those Wave Two Expansion Monsters could do with some updates, some balances, or some typo fixes and things. They're not perfect. I think uh, there might be a few typo fixes in there, but it's nothing. 
Yeah. I think they were fixing some tree and DBK stuff just because names didn't match at all. But yeah. my, very, very minor things that not balance changes or anything, more typo issues. Yeah, we'll just have to see what, what happens going ahead with the expansions, whether there is anything more than that. But yeah, that's all we know of at the moment. Uh, it has been said that the Campaign of Death w- should have some balance changes in it. Oh, that, that, that's been some that. announcement of that a little bit. Um, nothing official what will be in there, but th- there was uh, the idea is that they're going to do balance changes for any of those that's going to be in that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we are, uh, I, th- I think that's kind of past the expansion section and the slightly spoilery light stuff. So we're now going to, uh, for those of you who are looking for things like some initial spoiler tactics or light things specifically related to certain monsters or things like that, then we're going to be going ahead on that. So for those of you who don't want anything spoiled at all, uh, I recommend uh, you, 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 you know, um, depart now and go on your hunt, so to speak. Um, but uh, yeah, f- for the last half an hour or so, we, uh, we're going to get a little bit more, a little bit more spoilery, but not too much. I don't so, think we're going to go into any certain details, really. It's, it's, yeah, I would say like if you played like a couple of games, you're probably good. Yeah. Uh, well, so I'd say first of all, for me, um, a, a very important thing to kind of get used to in in the early parts of the game is like the cycle. So your survive everything in the game you have is a resource. Like this is the way I look at it. So you first of all you've got your timeline. That's a slot of time. So you've got time as a resource. You've got a certain number of hunts you can go on. You're not going to get more of those outside of certain unusual circumstances. So each hunt is in itself like a time resource. And then within that, you have survivors. Survivors are a resource. Um, The best detached way to look upon it is they are nothing but a resource and they can be spent. And if they get lost, so be it. So um, survivors provide you the chances to get resources. Resources give you gear. Gear protects survivors, and that's the cycle that goes round. And so you want to try and build, uh, you want to try and build gear that keeps survivors alive, that allows survivors to generate more resources to allow you to build better and better gear. And this is why I call like Kingdom Death sometimes a snowbally game because a good start can be rolled into an amazing end game. Uh, we have a question: Does heavy weapons mess with cracks in the ground events? The word always made me assume yes. Uh, yeah, if you're carrying heavy weapons and you get that result on cracks in the ground, then I'm afraid you are experiencing what you think you're experiencing. Yeah, yeah. King Spear plus cracks in the ground can be a sad experience. Uh, uh, right, well, so uh, the other thing I like to think about is learning, like assessing efficiency of a, an item. So... <clears throat> You want to sort of look at something and be, how much does this cost me to make and how roughly how many hunts am I going to take it on? Um, a good example is Monster Grease. So Monster Grease can be made by the organ grinder. It costs one organ and it, it provides an effect which generally you don't find anywhere else very often and it even has like an upgraded state on it where it doubles that effect. So for one organ, you can have an item that will last many, many years. And that's kind of what you're looking for, at least early on, is to decide whether an item is going to run for you for a long time. You can call it a long runner or if it's like a stepping stone, which is sort of something that you're going to build and then you're going to go get a better version of later on. 
weapons tend to be more stepping stone orientated, like you'll get a bone axe and then you might graduate to a better axe. And then from that one, you'll graduate to like an end game axe or maybe a few more steps along the way. So that's, that's the way I kind of try and parcel things out is I'll look at my gear and go, what gear is great and efficient and what gear is going to last a long time. Um, what about you, Josh? Got any like strategy tips and tactics and things? Yeah, I think like besides like look how long like compare it like all right, if I spend this resource here, I can get this, or if I spend it here, I can get this. So like last night we debated between we could make the the uh, bone club and the greater gax. No, mm. we could be, build the bone club and the rib blade, or you could build the greater gax. Ah, that is that, a that dilemma. Was our, our dilemmas and so, so we had to wait all right what makes more sense or like with innovations like all right i only have one organ one hide and a bunch of bone do i want to innovate or do i want to make a monster grease and a weapon or something it's mm. the best value of what you can currently do with it is it, something yeah. else you want to keep it yeah oh so we have a question from chat how do you like the stone noses item for 1.5 they seem solid as a good early pick, but they use endeavors. So I really like the stone noses. Early on, they provide you with a one insanity when you depart, which is nice and a survival. And like survival gains early on are kind of tough to get your hands on. Um, you can get them through certain gear items or possibly innovations, but you're unlikely to have the innovations. So I think the stone noses, like initially I was like, what's the point of this? And then I realized it was made via one endeavor, and I was like, oh, that's pretty good. And one of the reasons it is, is for me, um, my first sort of thing after I come out of the hunt, the very first hunt, is I'm not going to innovate. I don't innovate for two to three years because I'd rather get more gear and then catch back on the innovating and, and stuff. So it's a personal playstyle choice. Um, but yeah, I will usually have one endeavor a year to spend on the noses. Yes, and the noses work on arrival but not on departing, which I like as well. It gives you that, like, even if you lose all of your survival along the way of the hunt, the noses will still give you one point to spend while you're on the showdown. also gives you something to spend the divers on early game, because typically yeah. you are you don't have anything to spend them on. Yeah, yeah, Lantern Year 2, 3, you might end up just trying to roll augury several times to make more babies, and instead you can do something to help your hunters a bit more. Yeah, and yes. if you have survival of the fittest, it's not like I, I don't want to try to make babies. Unless, like, <laughs> you go scrap, scrap uh, searching. Is that it? Yeah. That's, but. Scav, scav, scavenge. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, it's like scavenging. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, <sighs> there is sort of optimal ish paths you can follow through the game, and I don't really even in one of this section want to talk too much about them, but I think, like, one of the things that's very important to understand it is with weapons is like your weapon profile and your special abilities are incredibly important for weapons um deadly is a really really good ability and it remains good throughout the whole game um critical hits tend to be amazing in the core game and very rarely have penalties attached to them so the more critical hits you can score the better you'll be and also crits the main way you generate monster resources um in contrast to that, you've then got the whole like speed, accuracy, and strength dilemma. And what's your um, what's your approach on this, Josh? Um, I've tend like just from playing 
while it's fun to roll a lot of dice, it's not always the best thing when you think of odds of what card you're drawing and what reactions can happen. Yeah. Um, some general things that, like, <sighs> depends how many players you're playing with. If you're playing with two or three, I always find it fun to have a support character for fourth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you want to explain what support character is? Uh, so there's some gear in the game that is more support gear. So like Rawhide Headband lets you look at AI cards. or some cards that let you look at hit location cards. Some gear. Um, and you're doing more manipulation of the monster and what it's going to do instead of fighting it. Or you're, you have bandages. You're healing people from their bleeds. Stuff like that. Kind of what you would think like a cleric would do in a party. That It's more of supporting the party and and buffing and debuffing the the monster a little bit uh, yeah yeah so it's it's player support is like yeah as you said it's like a combination of a, a first aid medic and like a, um, a general like because you're you're providing tactical strategic support to the group um making their attacks more effective and keeping them alive longer rather than directly damaging the monster so yeah it's uh it is and it's the only thing is like if you're playing four players someone Oh, if you're, one of your players likes doing that stuff, then it's cool. But normally, everyone wants to hit an attack and have that kind of fun, so it makes it interesting. Um, yep. But if you do like three or two player, that's a good like someone's playing a secondary character, and and it makes it pretty easy. And then if someone dies, you just kind of swift around, and they have something to do. Yeah. Um, uh, there we had a question from chat, which is, have they changed the way the death whale works for the antelope? Uh, I'm afraid they haven't. It works exactly the way as it does before. Uh, we also have a question, having version 1.5, some gear balance changes, but still missing some important gear balance. Uh, any suggestions to balance gear, etc.? Um, well, there is actually a group of people who are working on what they call a community edition to put together some stuff that hopefully provides more options and balances for other bits and pieces and underused and underpicked items. So there isn't any changes in 1.5, but maybe quarter one or quarter two next year, you'll see something come out that can be um, printed out and there are like professional print places that can do the cards to the quality that will look good. Are you part of that group or I am, I am, I am part of that group. I am not even, I think the head of that group. I'm certainly not the person organizing it. So uh, I'm just involved, which I think some people might be surprised to learn. It's not, I, I may have, cause the group to come together but i've settled more in a role of being somebody who throws ideas and then deconstructs other ideas and complains <laughs> i don't actually complain that much uh we've got a question about the best way to learn to min max um hmm. so i think there's a series of rules of kind of like play that you well general guidelines that you can put together to but effectively one of it is learning the best weapon types for min-maxing. So they are weapons with a speed between 1 and 3. You want high accuracy, so like a 5 plus or better, and um, and uh, high strength. So that's on weapons. The other thing you'll want is deadly as much as possible, um, devastating for fighting uh, nemesis monsters, but not necessarily for fighting quarry monsters. And uh, get as much rawhide as possible, and get as much evasion as possible. That's kind of like general min-maxing rules. Um, if you want like a, a fast way to min-max, I will talk you through now my my min-max start. So 
prologue white lion this we throw the founding stone at the start so uh that will then give one survivor plus one strength at the cost of their survival i will then everyone will fist and tooth the prologue white lion for the whole fight to try and generate more resources if everyone dies they die you start again you do a new prologue fight you just try you know again it's fine then in the first settlement phase i will not use one sinew one lion or two lion claws any cat's eyes i've drawn any golden whiskers i've drawn I will put those safe to one side and I will go out and I'll fight a level one like that white line. And even if I have to do it with a bunch of founding stones, I, I will do it like absolutely just. Um, then I come back and I will craft the, the hit location gear. So I'm looking for uh, the cat's eye circlet. I'm looking for to make the cat gut bow. I'm looking to make two guitars. I'm looking to make a king spear. Uh, I'm looking to make rawhide for as many people as possible. Like, three maybe two three rawhide sets possibly even four um my preferred builds are the first one i'll always try to put together is a lion beast uh, beast claw guitar plus fecal self plus full rawhide plus monster grease plus a lucky charm that creates somebody with two evasion that gains three survival when they depart and has crits on an eight nine or a ten it's really powerful it's great for generating more resources, and I'll make two of those. My tank will initially start off hot with a spear, so they'll train spear. They'll also wear like full rawhide plus a spear and some monster grease. And then my support character will eventually get full rawhide with a bow. From there, the min-max route is to go to the antelope and get one to two sets of antelope and get a set of leather and just basically kill antelopes until you're ready to get an arc bow from the phoenix. And that's kind of like my min maxi sort of route but to be honest i meander around and don't follow that all the time because i prefer to try and experiment with new stuff or play a play through where i get whips working or daggers you know I'm, i i've broadened out but that foundation of the guitar the, of the starting fight group of bow spear guitar fist and tooth with a guitar is very effective and you can't go wrong with that and it will give you a lot from there um, other things to remember, always have a bandages by before Lantern Year 4 because of the Butcher, and always get a shield or two before you go near the Kingsman. What about you, Josh? What are you for min-maxing? Um, what are bandages? Like, we don't have those. We're going to Year 4. Uh, well, if you don't get a lot of hide... Then... We got no hide in our in our Year 3 fight, sadly. We got we got two Jiggling Lards that we used for other things. Yeah. So, um, But no, I think like... I like to play with gear grids and I like to sit and just look at gear and, and I'll do theory crafting and, yeah. and, and that's a lot of fun I have there is just like alright what what could I make and how would this work um, like I don't have like a min-max like strategy or anything it's just I play with things and do everything and just look in to see what it is yeah when chats talk about eating insects um, I mean if you want to be daring and just eat everything that comes up that gives you a possible stat boost or death, you can. I mean, it's, it's a way to play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> we eat insects. Is that good? Uh, it's certainly a way to play. Um, um, I, pref- uh, I prefer to save the insects for cooking. Um, another note, uh, watch on your, your uh, male-to-female ratio for your games. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh Mathematically, you want three women to one man, and your hunt. If you want to properly min max it, all your hunt parties should be exclusively women. 
Or um, three women and one man. <laughs> yeah. Um, the one thing, uh, like our current element has very few females. So like, uh, it's just how we run our game and we let people name survivors and apparently they like to pick male names for survivors. So mm. we tend to have a little bit more male dominated, uh, settlement. There's, hey, there's nothing wrong with a woman with a man's name. You know, I just like there's nothing wrong with a man called Sue. Alright, another question from chat. Do you guys give a bit of D&D flair to the events and attacks that happen when you play, or you just kind of read it out? Well, I play with people who are primarily role players, so there is a lot of character uh, involved, and I usually introduce an extra wrinkle to that by we play the uh, the capitalist version of Kingdom Death, which is where you... It's like Necromungus from... Um, chronicles of riddick you keep what you kill so in other words everyone gets their own resources separately you score a crit that's your resource you um and we divvy out the resources drawn at the end of the fight and watch the entire group run towards deadly weapons as much as possible and so not exactly like flair to like the events and attacks but certainly characters start to emerge and and take take on their own um uh, my friend Grey, who I'm playing with, she uh, her character Maris would eat silk every time it turned up just because that's what Maris would do. And eating silk is not really advised. It's not harmful, but it's not ideal. But she would do it every single time. So the survivors kind of get a bit of personality that the players inject into them. Yeah, uh, we've, we've built some fun stories. It's just part of the storytelling of the game of... Yeah. Of things that happen. And uh, we may not quite act it out, but you kind of put this, this story together over games. Uh, so like this campaign, we had Hopeful who went in double lantern for perfect hits and then two criticals, uh, the, the balls, of course, and the, uh, <laughs> and the lion's yeah. tail. So, and it was fist and tooth that we were using. So everyone said that. Uh, hopeful went in, bit off the balls, and and pulled out the tail, um, <laughs> and that that was the scene that we built in that kind of that moment, which is cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have you answered the question about the watcher? Uh, no, we skipped. I skipped. I didn't see that one. Uh, I just reached my first level twenty. Should I always go for the watcher that year? With the changes, I I don't know if that. It depends on where your settlement is. I think. Yeah. So I've played now through one and a half campaigns of People of the Lantern. Um, and I've looked at this a few times. I've come to the conclusion there isn't an actual answer. It is very contextual. Basically, if you are happy with the innovations you have, if you've got all the ones you need and you don't care that innovating is going to stop and you feel confident of fighting level threes, you should go for the Watcher because you want to oxidize as much as you can and have as many years as possible to do it. But if you don't, if you're in a precarious situation and you're not ready for like a, an endless chain of level threes, then you do need to delay on the Watcher and maybe train up your Twilight Sword wielder a bit better. So it is, it's contextual. But ideally, if you the the I'd say the min max in quotes route is to kill the Watcher as early as possible and then start grinding level threes to get really juicy loot and build all of the oxidized gear that you possibly can. And I think part of that, like, it doesn't, like, fighting the Watcher year 20 or 25, that fight's not going to get too much more difficult. No. It's more, uh, is your settlement ready or not? Yeah, yeah. Are you ready for life without innovations? Are you ready for powerful monsters? 
And do you want that extra time to prepare for the Gold Smoke Knight, who is genuinely really fearsome? Like, it's, I, I you know, I gotta say, like, People of the Lantern still isn't my favorite campaign, but I wish that the Nemesis monsters at the end of People of the Sun and People of the Stars were as powerful as the Gold Smoke Knight, because that is, it is an epic fight. I'm not gonna go into details on it, but it is really well done. It is great. It is, absolutely you know a great cap to the campaign and and feels appropriately climactic um i want to so someone in chat was talking about uh the art D thing and the role-playing thing and says that uh they play where if they do someone murder someone they give a good explanation they give like a plus one to roll results i think that's one of the fun things about kdm is you can do your own house rolls and yeah. you could do you can modify it however you want and it still has that flavor, and, and it's nothing against like no one's gonna no one. It's your game; you do what you want, and it it, it, yeah. it allows that home brewing and stuff like that to make it fun. Like we do, people of the Twitch, we do a slight variant of it, and, and allow people to to do things, and the game leads itself to that. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And I know there's a lot of purists like you play the game by the rules, but like if you don't like something, don't play it. That way. Like the the game's not gonna yeah. get easier or harder. Tech like a giant swing by doing something slightly different. Yeah, you know, exactly. Um, I mean, that's one of the things where I, I, some people got a slight, like I talk one way when I start discussing the rules. Cause like I can be very detail orientated and very like the rules need to be clear. They need to be precise because I have played a lot of board games, but at heart I'm a role player. And when I'm on the table and I'm playing with people and we get to the situations where these rules are like, what do we do here? I will just be like, I'll do GM fiat as we call it and just be like, do this. There we go. Stop, stop worrying about it. And even if I'm right or wrong, we just get on with it. And some of the stuff, if we don't like it, we, we just don't bother with it. Um, I've been known when playing with some people to just sit, like quietly take Scully to a murder out and cracks in the ground out of the deck because I know it's going to upset those people. They don't know I've done it. You know, they've got no idea I've manipulated the game and toned it down a bit. But I, you know, if you know somebody's going to like, throw an absolute fit or be completely devastated if they lose their survivor to a murder or falling down a hole in the ground what's the point in playing it's not fun for them so you know that's i I very much like i'm a gm at heart i've been doing gming for years and years and i i will do that like i see kingdom death as a framework that you put your experience around and and I get it. I think that's what Poots wants people to do as well. So it's actually where I stand standard on personality wise is I might in these podcasts talk one way about these things, but when you get on a table with me and play with me, you'll find a very different experience. All right, another question uh, from chat. Do you think they they'll do a campaign extension for People of the Sun and People of the Stars with later examples of the campaign of death? Um I don't I don't think they're gonna do anything more of those campaigns? I think those two campaigns are self-contained stories. Um, the endings of both are quite definitive in their um, in their own ways. So I, yeah, I don't think they will. I mean, you definitely couldn't like stick the gold smoke night after the events of um, People of the Stars because because uh, of you know the stuff that happens there, and I think the same with People of the Sun. So I don't think so, and I don't think they need to either. I mean. I was surprised they pulled people of the lantern out to 30 years. And I mean, we're talking now, it could be what 40 years with screaming God and the ivory dragon added. That's a long yeah, campaign. It's very, what a year. It, 
each year takes about an hour, hour and a half. <laughs> I guess longer when you're the level three. Yeah, like longer, like two up to three hours of level threes. Yeah. So you're talking about a eighty hundred hour campaign. Yeah, that's that's a lot. Then you can, you know, I mean, uh, like my my Thursday group, we've talked about playing fifteen years, uh, twelve, well, ten to fifteen years, and deciding if people want to take a little break, play something different, and then come back and do the next lot. And that's, you know, so I I I don't think they'll extend them any further. I don't think they should. And I'm looking forward to the shorter campaigns coming out. I'm very keen on um, the the Black Knight short campaign with the Squires. I'm looking forward to the Red Witches short campaign and the Abyssal um, Woods short campaign. So yeah, I, I think I don't think they need to extending. <sighs> Anything else take? you want to mention, Fan? I think I'm I'm pretty good. Yeah, I know. If unless you have any last final questions from chat. Who want to ask anything? Give them a short while. Um, I'm, you know, I feel like I've, I've said what I, I want to. I think we got a pretty good intro to everything. Yeah, and uh, I, you know, hopefully we haven't spoiled anything too major. Uh, even in the spoiler sections, I, I've tried to keep things vague where it, it's better for people to find out. Um, oh, we've got a question for Gear. Okay, go ahead. <clears throat> oh yeah, uh, we skipped this one. How much does a whip affect? the hunt table now not that they have oh, those changes uh, I've been going through and trying to check this I don't think a whip has a broad effect as in I, I don't think there are a massive amount more events that it does have an effect on but the ones it works for it's far more effective working at um, in short uh, I think it is arguable that you should take one rawhide whip on every hunt party in one of the support places oh uh, thoughts on the new crystal skin inter- interaction with cursed gear? Ah, yes. So this is this is one of the mineral changing, uh, mineral gathering changes. So I'll just grab that, Josh. Um, have you had much experience with the new hunt events yet, and any whip occurrences? Nah, we, we've barely touched new hunt events. We, we, I know we got a Zenith's favorite hunt event. Which I think it's ninety six, which is a little yeah. weird. But that that that's all. We, that's the only one. I think the new one that we got was that one. Ooh, nineteen ninety six. That's the cloaked stranger. Oh yes, yeah. That um, that is probably um, some some like spoiler like linked stuff to some other expansion or some bit of the lore. I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Could it be the goblin? <laughs> I don't know. Um, so there's that. Um, someone chat saying there, there's seven Ooh. whips invented. Uh, events modified by whips. From beneath the folds of his cloak, you can just make out a hint of violet scaly hide. The cloak extends your sleeve and gently strokes your cheek. Maybe it, maybe it is. I'm going to postulate, not knowing anything more, that that might be the original goblin. That's what I'm going to say. Um, right, so the ignoring cursed on crystal skin. Uh, well, the, I, I always thought crystal skin was really good anyway. The new version of crystal skin is even better. And it, that's one of the reasons why I say the um, Slender Man is better as well, because the Slender Man expansion is linked to Crystal Skin. So I like it. I like it a lot. I think it's really cool and interesting. And um, it's a good reason to give your Twilight Sword Wield a pickaxe, you know, maybe. So, yeah. Um, does the new Scholar of Death mechanic give enough benefits to use it? Uh, yes, I think it does. I think it's actually really good. Like it's worth the effort of um, of getting it going, and it's very interesting. 
Um, using Rawhide and Screaming Arm for the majority of the people in the Sun campaign. Uh, yes, uh, Rawhide, Screaming Armor, Phoenix Armor are the three that are, and Leather Armor, those are the ones that you would use. I quite recommend adding the Dragon King as a huntable quarry, because his armor is also not heavy. Um, so that's like another one that's worth adding. Any important rule changes from 1 to 1.5? Yes. Doomed. Uh, the change to Doomed. Josh, do you want to take this one? So uh, the Doomed used to be you cannot use any survival, but now it's you can't do anything. Yeah. Uh, you cannot perform any actions. And actions are defined in the glossary to include moving, as well as activations, as well as survival actions. So... Uh, I brought up during a discussion that this meant that the villain didn't work correctly in um, in the Lion Knight expansion, and that's why the card was updated uh, and released as an update was released by Poots. So, yeah, um, you know, someone's asking. Does, I was just going to say he does listen to um, to, uh, to to feedback and acts on it when he feels it's appropriate. So you know, well done to him. Yeah, someone was asking why the Forsaker mask was so nerfed. Uh, one of the reasons why was the mask was better than anything you could make at the mask maker location. Yes. So you, you wouldn't throw it out to make the location unless you knew you could pick another one up. Uh, <clears throat> why it was nerfed so hard, that was just what happened. But um, the reason why it was nerfed was just because no one was making the mask maker location. And that whole part of the gameplay content was just being ignored. Yeah. Um, it, it was, I do think it's a shame. Um, I think they over-nerfed it, um, which is a bit of a pity, but uh, I, I, they could have landed on something in between the two. Uh, I'll be interested to see what happens now with the Imitation Butcher set. Is that supposed to use the mask? Yeah, uh, there might be something coming with the uh, Ancient Butcher and stuff, you know, all that. Yeah. So yeah. We, we, don't, we don't know what's going to happen, but right now it's it's not great. Um, Tax's question, is it worthwhile to aim for the harvesting gear early on? Um, pickaxes, if you're looking to rush for a beacon shield, absolutely. Uh, the sickle, I don't think you need to so much because the new screaming uh, antelope armor gives you a canthus on the board straight away. Um, but there are interesting things that happen on the table in harvesting. Um, I, I think it is... And like an ideally a well-rounded hunting party will take out one sickle and some pickaxes every time it goes out, which is why I try to build mostly grids that use like eight items and a flex item. So, uh, yeah. So chat's asking um, about the imitation butcher and the agent butcher. The imitation butcher is going to be in the gambler's chest. It's a hybrid armor set. Apparently it uses, I think it's lantern armor and maybe leather armor or screaming. I can't remember exactly. Um, and the Forsaker Mask and the um, Butcher's Axes, the Cleavers. Uh, if you have one, you get the thing, and if you have both Cleavers, then you'll get an additional bonus, and it lets somebody be like a mini Butcher. And then the Ancient Butcher is part of the uh, Campaign of Death. Yeah. Uh, right. As a new player that can't really magnetize stuff, can you advise some represented weapons combos for each armor kit? Yep. Uh, well, I do on my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash fanpaints. I put up uh, build articles that are free for everyone. Um, but to give you a very quick, um, there's a link in the chat there for those people who are live. For a very quick thing, uh, I will put rawhide with a king spear, rawhide with a catgut bow, 
a rawhide with a katar. Um, I will also do rawhide with a zanbato. Those are like four which I think are very commonly used. Or rawhide with a scrap sword, if you prefer. An armoured, um, generally I, I will put a bone sword on one or two of them, and maybe a king spear on one of them, and a catgut bow on one. Leather, you definitely want one with a leather shield and a zanbato. Um, you may want one with a leather shield and a skull cap hammer because that's like quite good. That's the club with a skull head. Uh, screaming armor. I love it with spears. So one with a king spear, one with a finger of God, which is the spear from the phoenix. And I actually really rate um, a screaming armor with a bone club, which is the new the new bone club weapon. It's really good. Um, I do want to make a note, like, there's all these builds you can make. I find it's more fun to just play the game, use these start and survivors. That and is then, true. And then just build, like, you're kind of like legendary survivors. Like, we had this guy that was really cool, and we, we kind of just built him to memorize this one survivor in our future games and stuff. I, I think that's a fun way to yeah. do it, too. Uh, and then you take the build and do it. Like, you, you don't need to have your many. There's no reason to have your many represent exactly yeah. what your survivor looks like. Like, I know people want to do magnetization and everything to do that, and if you want to do that, it's awesome, but, like, you don't need to, yeah. like, go through all that. Um, it, it, you just do it at your own pace, whatever you feel is best. Yeah. Um, well, uh, he sent his stuff to a commission painter, so, um, yeah, that, as I said, like, I do... it. Okay, so, what I would do is, I say, I would... I don't know about the the unarmored. I would certainly ask for two unarmored with just a founding stone and a lantern, so you can play five to six player games if you want. The other two, maybe a bone sword and a bone axe. I don't think it's too important. Maybe two bone swords. It's your choice. Rawhide, one with a spear, two with katars, one with a catgut bow. Um, leather I went through, screaming armor, basically I would do a counterweight axe, a bone club, a king spear and a finger of God leather. I mostly went through. Um, I think the others I would do leather with a scrap sword because that build is okay, or maybe a leather with two two scrap swords. Uh, lantern armor. I would do one with a um, thunder maul for sure, which is the lion headed weapon. I would do one with a bone club. And I would do one with a beacon shield and a um, lantern glaive, and one with a beacon shield and a stone, uh, a skullcap hammer. Skullcap hammer. I've actually found skullcap hammer with lantern armor and a beacon shield is like pretty good in the end game. Um, surprisingly, club mastery is a lot better than it appears. Uh, uh, chat's talking about uh, founding stones and throwing it. Let's talk about critical wounds because I think that's yes. a rule that gets missed a lot. Critical wound can only happen if there's a critical wound location on the card. If Correct. there is not, you don't do a critical. You can't crit. Uh, doesn't matter how much luck you have or anything else. So if you throw your yep. founding stone and there is no critical wound location, you did nothing, um, yep. and it sucks. Uh, but yeah, no, that's one thing. When especially when people hit the butcher, they they don't realize that. So yeah. It is worth noting that a wound roll of a perfect natural 10, the lantern, always wounds, even if there isn't a critical hit location. But it doesn't mean that it's always a crit. 
So that like a 10 is always going to wound, a 1 is always going to fail to wound, and then separately you've got to look to see if you score critical hits. Yep. Um, and someone was mentioned, I didn't realize Bitter Frenzy got changed. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Did you did you not I, notice all that? I didn't notice it when I first went through it. Um, yeah. Well, uh, let, let me um, let me read it for you now, seeing as we're in the spoilery spoilery section. Uh, white. It's um, see the truth. No. I have it right here. So bitter frenzy. Yeah. Each showdown, the first time you suffer the frenzy brain trauma, gain it in D10 survival. You may spend survival while frenzied. So it's not as overpowered as it used to be. Yeah, yeah. It's actually still pretty good. It is pretty good. I'm surprised they didn't touch Story of the Invisible Hair if they wanted to nerf Bitter Frenzy. But uh, Story of the Invisible Hair is um, still... Leyland Walkers are still ridiculously good. Yeah, see the truth. Yeah, yeah. I still love Sour Death, though. Like, when you get knocked down, you can encourage yourself. So you just stand up again and get a strength token. It's a... Pretty fantastic. Oh, and uh, Sweet Battle hasn't been nerfed either. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. So, do we have any more questions, or we can wrap it up there, because we're kind of like yeah, past two could, hours. Now. Yeah, we just yeah. passed two hours, so I think we can wrap it up here. Excellent. So, thanks everyone for joining us. This was our little semi-spoiler-free intro to 1.5. Yeah. About um, 50% spoiler-free. Yeah, for yeah. the most part. Um so thanks for joining us. Join us next time. We're going to be talking about the Manhunter. Is that what's next? Uh, yeah, we'll do the Manhunter. Yeah, okay. why not? Uh, I, I remember you had something up on the, the schedule. I don't remember which one it was. Because <laughs> there's uh, well, a couple couple guys coming up. Yeah, there's there's like we're going to do the Manhunter, and then we're going to do the Flower Knight, and then we're going to do the Lion Knight, because they kind of all crop up roughly at the same time. It's not strictly timeline order. Like, we would do Flower Knight first, but we kind of want to... like. Alternate and not go like Nemesis, like Quarry Nemesis, 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 and we're going to go Quarry and Nemesis Quarry, Nemesis Quarry, Nemesis Quarry instead. All right, so join us in two weeks for that, right? Yeah, I will be doing that. Um, otherwise, make sure you check out Fen's Patreon, check out our sus- subscriber drive, and all that stuff, uh, and make sure to follow us on all social media and stuff. And- yeah. There's all all the stuff. Um, otherwise, I think it's where we say goodnight, right? Yeah, we say goodnight, indeed. Thanks for watching. And uh, may your next hunt be very successful and fruitful. And goodnight, everyone. Good night.